Hey, everybody. Good to see you. Over the last couple of weeks, the teachers here at Life have had the opportunity to come up and share with you their favorite verse and why it's their favorite and all the things that it's done in their life. And so I'm pretty excited because I get to do the same thing today. I wonder, though, I hope, as we've gone through favorites, uh, if it made you think of your own. So maybe you are a Christian, and you go through and you hear this sort of thing, and, and it's caused you to remember, yeah, this. If we were to ask each of you, what's your favorite verse? What, part, what has God said in his word that has come to mean the most to you? What would you say if we gave you five minutes? So we're going to start right here in the front if you just want to come up and we'll... <laughs> I asked my family around the table the question, I'm like, what's your favorite verse? And one of them was finally honest enough to say, uh, we don't really read it enough to have a favorite. Exactly. So if that is you and you really don't read it enough, like I do all the reading for you. And then you're just like, well, that was really good. I like that. That's, I, like, I like how you think about that. Can't wait to hear next week. The first takeaway of this series is this. Read it. Because, and here's why. That's not my favorite verse, but, but it's a good one. Here's why. Because it's not dead. It's not a dead book with stories just in it. It's, it's inspired. It's profitable for all kinds of things. It's profitable for knowing who God is. This is an exercise that I do with my kids. We, I, I challenge them to read the classic stories. Jonah, David and Goliath, Daniel and the lion's den. So we read the story, and I let them read it as many times as they want. I mean, sometimes this will take a couple of weeks. Sometimes it takes a couple of weeks for them to read it once. So we go over it, and the story is great for itself, but my question that I'm always asking them is, what does that story tell you about God? Because the Bible at the end of the day is a book about him. It's a story about him. It's profitable for knowing him. That's a great way to study it. Read the story, but what does it say about him? How can you trust someone you don't know? I want them to know who God is so that they can trust him. Not just blindly accept what I say, like, well, that's what dad says, so that's what we're going to do. So to know, it's profitable for knowing yourself. God is not a liar, and he will tell you exactly who you are, and you're not going to like a lot of it, but it's profitable. It's profitable for correction, for reproving, for training in righteousness. And so we're going to get some training in righteousness today. But the, the first takeaway, if you're not someone who reads, is read it, because it's not dead. All right, favorite was tough because there's a lot I like. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what I like, and then we're going to get to the one that I settled on. And I think my favorite would change probably every year. So this is just, maybe we'll do favorites every year, and then this is my favorite this year. But there's, this is what I like. If God speaks to us through his word, and that's the primary way that he does communicate, that's, then those words that he has has revealed to us, they shape you, they change you. And so these, these are some of the places as I've gone through, and if he's saying this to me, it's shaped me and changed me. I love the story of Jacob and Esau. 
in Genesis, where Esau stands to gain everything, his father's inheritance, the birthright it's called. He's the oldest son, so he gets it all. And the youngest son, he's a swindler, Jacob. So he gets him to give away his birthright, though, a huge inheritance for a bowl of soup. Never, ever, ever trade something big and glorious and good for something temporary that's going to disappear. You're going to devour it. It's going to be gone. Don't ever do that. We do that. The, the decisions you make today affect tomorrow. People have used that in my life over and over again. I, I love that truth. I've used it in other people's lives. Don't do that. I like Exodus 32 and 33 because they inspire me to pray. Those are great stories about prayer. I like Joshua 4 where God's chosen people, right? So it's a long, it's a long history up to this point, but they finally get what God has promised. But there's one more river to cross. Do you know he parts the river? You know he parted the sea when they got out. So everybody's, do you know he parted the river that they could get in? Do you know he did that? And it was dry. Then this is what he said. When you go across the river into what I have promised you, you're going to take stones from the river bottom and you're going to pile them up on the shore. That way you never forget how good I am. Because we always forget how good God is. And he refuses to be forgotten. We need reminders. I love it. I need reminders. Do you know that Sunday morning, is, it's a reminder? Because through the week, we just forget. And then we come here, and we get reminded of how good God is. I like Kings and Chronicles, where if you read through that, this always struck me. A king will serve, he'll, he'll reign for 10 or 20 or 30 or 40, 50 years, but his whole life was always looked through a single criteria. His life was good or bad. His life was evaluated by God on a single criteria, and that was, did you love me and did you do what was right in my eyes? And here what was always right in God's eyes. In the land, there was always high places. So there was God who was to be worshipped, and then there was all these other gods that popped up, and they would establish these high places. And a good king would go and he would take down the high places so that there was nothing left in the land except God and him alone to be worshipped. But if he didn't do it, almost every king left all the high places up. The good ones, sometimes they took down some. And every time I read that, this is what it'll say. At the end of it, if they took them down, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, or he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And when I read that, it's always as if God is saying to me, which, which would I say of you? Did you take down the high places? Or did you just leave them up? I always feel like that's what he says to me. I like a Job. I like Job where Job questions God because his life fell apart. And then God says, brace yourself because you don't question me. I inform you. You don't inform me. And then he just lays it out for him. Were you there? Were you there when I formed the foundations? Did you hold the tape? Did you help me measure it out? Have you seen the storehouses of hail and lightning? Do you know? You don't know. So you be quiet. I like that part. I mean, I don't like it, but it's helpful to me. Like Isaiah 53, I like 
John 21. John 21, God calls a man to serve him, and the words he uses to call that man to serve him are the same words that he spoke to me. So I like John 21. I like Acts 16 because there's this rich lady who gets saved. Her name's Lydia. And for all practical purposes, if you were to see her in the world, you would think, well, she doesn't need God. She has everything. But she goes to a Bible study, and it said, and the Lord opened her heart to believe. And then everything changes, which is how I've come to believe that that's what salvation is. Salvation, for so long, I thought that salvation was me reaching up to God. And it, it's not. It's salvation, God reaching down to us. So, I like a lot of stuff. But this is where we're going to go today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's, it's what I would call my favorite because it helps me to better understand what God has done for me. And when I better understand what God has done for me, it makes me grateful. And when I'm grateful, I live in a way that glorifies him. If I live consciously grateful of God, I live in a way that's honoring to him. When I forget how good he has been to me, I don't honor him. And this makes me remember just how good he has been to me and changes who I am. So that's, that's why I like it. I think it, it describes maybe better than any other verse in the Bible what happened at the cross and all God did for us there. And I love it. It comes to us from a guy named Paul. I mean, he was Saul, then his name was changed to Paul, but Paul was a guy who thought Jesus was a fraud. Paul was smart, he was intelligent, he was influential. His opinion about Jesus mattered because, it, because he was a powerful person. So if you thought Jesus really was the Son of God then, and he didn't, and he didn't, he could make your life miserable, and he did. He could actually end your life, and he did that too. So he was a very powerful, influential, intellectual person, and he was making life miserable for, for anyone who said that they believed that Jesus was the Son of God, until the resurrected Christ met him. The, the way it reads is that the light was so bright that it blinded him, knocked him off a horse. And it was basically the resurrected Jesus speaking to him, saying, God did become flesh and dwell among us. He did. God in the flesh dwelt among us was Jesus Christ. I am he. Everything I said was true. Believe it, get up, and do what I say. And he does. He turns. He becomes the greatest missionary of all time ever. But his life was full of suffering. The, God let the two go together. As a matter of fact, he said that's exactly how it will go. The very next chapter after he gets off the ground, he believes God tells a man named Ananias about 
here's my choice for greatest missionary ever, Saul or Paul. And Ananias says, uh, <laughs> not sure about that choice. <laughs> this dude hates people who believe in Jesus. And they're like, well, he doesn't anymore. He's my chosen instrument to bring my message to the world, and I will show him how much he has to suffer. That's the actual. So your life can absolutely be falling apart, but you can be at the center of what God has for you at the same time. So never doubt that. There's no promise of ease when you serve him, and his life was not easy. So here's a list of sufferings. He was kidnapped, he was beaten, he was threatened, he was arrested, falsely accused, interrogated, ridiculed, ignored, shipwrecked, and snake-bitten. And that's just like, well, that's just like one paragraph. He said this, all I know is this, the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city I go, someone's going to thump me. That's all I know. Now, here's the tie, though, to our verse. He was so... He was so, he suffered so much, people started to doubt whether he was legit. Because in that day, it was like, you could say all day, all day long, you're a man of God. But if your life is falling apart, you're probably not. Because God blesses those he loves, and he curses those he does not. And so, you're cursed. You can't be, this guy can't be legit. So, people were walking away from his message as a, a spokesman for God. Do you know that there's always a critic? There's always a critic. If, if you were called by God to speak on his behalf, there will always be somebody who sits outside of that without knowledge they do not have, even though you've told them, and they'll run you down. So, 2 Corinthians really, in a lot of ways, is a letter to his critics. He just lets them have it. I mean, in a, in a very godly way, he lets them have it. I, I love 2 Corinthians. So, this is what he says primarily in the beginning to his critics, and then the tone of the letter changes. The first thing he says is this. So, I'll kind of build up to chapter 5. First thing he says is, God uses my suffering. You guys think that I'm suffering and I'm outside of the will of God or I'm not even of God at all, but you guys need to know, you guys being those critics in Corinth, who were, who were causing everybody to walk away from Paul's message. What was Paul's message ultimately? Everything that Jesus told him when he knocked him on the ground. That God did dwell among us. He was God in the flesh and that his death accomplished something. His resurrection was real. Believe. I mean, that was his message. But the people were walking away from it. So he said, listen, God uses my suffering. Because, here's how he uses it. People believe because, like, other believers are comforted by my suffering. They see me suffering. They're suffering too. And everyone's told them they're cursed by God. And he's like, no, you're not. So it comforts them. So my suffering is the vehicle by which God is made known in the world in this way. In this way. You can't stop me. Listen, I do suffer. I am beat up. I'm kicked around. I'm shipwrecked. I'm snake bitten. But I'm still here. Like, I never go away. I'm pressed, but not 
crushed. I'm perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I am struck down, but I'm not destroyed. Like, the fact that I'm still here means God has his hand. I, it's the power of God in me that keeps me going. It's how he makes himself known in the world. Like, you just can't get rid of me. Because the power that raised the one from the dead is alive in me, and I just keep showing up. So that's his first point to his critics. Two, I wish what we are is plain to God. I wish it was plain to you. I wish it was plain to you. We're called by God. Here's the verse in chapter two. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but men of sincerity. As commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in God and of God and of Christ. Listen, we're called. And here's three. We don't have to soften the message, even if you don't like what we say, because the result of our ministry is not in our hands. I love this. This is the most freeing thing for anyone who, who speaks as one called by God. I don't have to control the result. See, a lot of, a lot of messengers from God were, they would soften the message because he would say something like, you are in sin, and God hates sin, and there's punishment coming for you. Well, they don't want to hear that. So let's just soften it, because if we soften it, then you'll ask us back, and when you ask us back, they'll probably take a love offering, and then we'll get rich. Well, I like that preacher. Let's have him back. That one talks too much. I don't like him. But he said, I don't have to soften it because, listen, I don't, all I have to do is do what God told me to do, and then God will take care of the rest. He says it this way. Having this ministry by the mercy of God, why does he have the ministry? Because he's awesome? No. God just picked him. We do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We, re we refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. We don't soften it because if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Listen, I can't control what happens out there. I can't control how it hits your heart. I can't control how it hits your ears. All I can do is say... Christ and Him crucified is the only way. I don't have to worry about it. So, the result's not in my hands. God will reward us for what we have done. This light and momentary affliction is nothing compared, what does He say, to the glory that awaits us, which ties into this last one. God's called us. He's commissioned us. He's loved us. We're here. We're in the center of His will. You, you think we're not, but we are. We, ought, we have believed. We are ready to face him, are you? That's chapter 4, or maybe the first part of 5. This is how he says it. For we must all appear, 510, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We try to persuade. Listen, this is to his critics. He knows he has a healthy fear of the Lord. Do you have a healthy fear of God? 
Please have a healthy fear of him. We will all face judgment. We will all face it. We will see him. And there will be a dealing out according to what we have done in the body. And he has knowledge of that, and therefore he has a healthy fear of God. And so he says, we try to persuade others. If they were my critics, I would just skip this city if it was me. I'd just end the letter right there. You'll face God someday, and then I'd just go on to the next city. But he doesn't. So there's a healthy fear and some concern for people, even those who don't like him. And so he lays it out for them. That's 19 through 20. We will all face God. So let me lay it out for you. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. This way, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Get right. You've dismissed me as nobody, but you need to get right because you're going to face God. And here's what makes it all possible, the reconciliation, this ministry of reconciliation. Here's how he describes it. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we in him might become something we could never be on our own, the righteousness of God. To his critics. That alone is a lesson to me. You're my friends. You will die. Are you ready to meet him? Are you ready? We will all face judgment for the deeds done in the body, whether good or bad. Are you ready to meet him. And if you would sit there and go, oh, I don't know. What's the one thing you're thinking about back here? All the stuff I did wrong. Read the verse. The verse says, we're going to face him, and he's going to pour out according to what has been done. And the first thing you and I are both thinking about is, but there's a bunch that I have done that, like, if he's going to pour it out and he's going to deal with it, I just might be in trouble. Who, who, in the back of their mind, like, I just might be in trouble? Two people. <laughs> Three. <laughs> because, okay, this, because of sin. The thing that camps back here, like, I don't know that I'm ready. I would say this, I would say this, Christian or not, there's some cause, there's some pause. Even, I've, I've been Christian 20 years, I read that, and there's still something that goes, ugh. Right? Because of sin. So on my favorite verse Sunday, I'm going to bring out my favorite visual for sin. I've used it a lot. Hangs in my office. It's this uniform that they give you in the Wells County lockup. I'll put the pants here just so you can see, right? So some of you have worn them. When you see somebody head to toe in this, it says something, doesn't it? You just know. You see that and you go like, hmm, they're, they're bad. They've at least been accused. 
I mean, no, no one's guilty, right? They've at least been accused, maybe convicted, but you see somebody like this, and it just screams at you, wrong. They're wrong. They did something wrong or bad. As clearly as I can tell you, as my friends, this is who you are before God. This is, this is us. This is you. You. It says it over and over and over again. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all like sheep have gone a... Uh, we know. Anyone who says he is without sin, that person deceives himself. It thunders from the Word. If you care to read it, if you ever care to read it, you are wicked. You are not good. There is nothing good in you. Before God, you, this is you. And it's deeper than just stuff you've done on the outside. It's actually... It's something, it's, it's almost like a disease that you're infected with. I mean, this is your heart. Because what comes out of you, it's the bad, that, the bad that comes out. It's not just ever external. The only thing, bad is not out there somewhere that infects you. It's, it starts in your heart inside and it comes out. So whatever comes out, it came from a heart that is this. This is your heart. And I think we all know it. I think we all know it. I have a new painter. He was doing a job for me. And he didn't know who I was in terms of this. And I didn't really tell him. He just, I was just a guy who gave him jobs. Well, he did his first job for me down in Bluffton. And then we connected enough. He started to figure out that I would come here or he would come here. And this is a church. And he's like, you work here? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm part of a church called Life, and, and my part is to teach and preach. I'm a, I'm a preacher. And his face, like, it got white, as if, like, I was some—and you know what he said to me? The first thing he says, he—we'd met a hundred times. He stuck out his hand and shook it and said, I'm a sinner. And I'm like, so am I. <laughs> There's just— Hey, do you know? Do you know? Okay. We know. Now, it's not just external. This is something that we are. We're born this way. This is Psalm 51. Surely from birth I was sinful. From the, from the moment I was conceived, I was sinful. This is, I think it's Genesis. The hearts of your children are fully set to do evil all the time. You never have to teach them that. You only—to go against the law is natural. Do you have children? Do you know this? I'm just pulling out all the favorites today, all right? So it's favorite day, and here's my favorite little kid sin story. Johnny's four. He's got a thing of gumballs in his hand. It's bigger than his hand. One gumball sticks out here and one here because he's got a tiny little hand because he's tiny. You're like driving in the van. They've spent a lifetime in the van. How many know this? <laughs> I'm like, don't eat gumballs for dinner. 
we stop at the next stoplight and we hear something like gumballs rolling in the side door, you know. So I knew what he's done. I'm trying to see it because I want to catch him red-handed. I take off and they roll back so I have to stop again so they can roll up so I can see them. And as I stop him, I'm going to look at him and he says, look, a rainbow. There's no rainbow. He's a liar. <laughs> He's a tiny little liar. And did I have to teach him to lie? Did I have to teach him to lie? No, I have to teach him to be good. Why? Because he's bad. And don't ever let him fool you. Are there any in here? They're, they're bad. You know this. It says it this way. This is Romans 5. Just as sin, just as sin, I better read it. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in that way death came to all people. So it's talking about Adam, but the idea is it's an inheritance. You were born this way. Sinful. All right. The consequence of this, we've all acknowledged that this is us. The consequence for this on judgment day is hell. Yeah, we're all sinners. Revelation 21. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, even little ones, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I'll just read a few more. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. And you can't fake it. There's a verse that says God will not be mocked. You can't claim it and then somehow escape. Like, ooh, I said I was, and he never caught it. No, he'll, he'll look at it because your life, will do, your life will show it one way or the other. They, and the Bible calls it fruit. By their fruit, you will know them. So you can't fake it. And it just says, every branch that does not bear good fruit will be cut off and thrown into the fire. So the consequence for this is hell. Now, what is your response to that? My response was, see, sometimes talking about hell is condemned because that's the old way and it was, there was no love in it and it didn't really produce anything. And here's what it did for me. The thought of hell, God used that to run me down. The night that I gave my life to the Lord, some guy was up there talking about Jesus, but I was not thinking about the goodness of God in Jesus. I was thinking about, I don't want to burn. It had sunk into me. And when I had, as much as I knew how, turned my back on my old life and went towards God, I didn't even know what I was doing, but that's what I was trying to do. When I went, the only thing I can remember feeling relief that night was, people talk about, well, I just felt this thing come off of me. You know the only thing that came off of me that night? The thought, like, I'm not going to hell. So we, you can condemn it, but it, God used it on me. So I don't know if he used it on you or not, but 
here's what we try to do. Here's what, here's what happens in the minds of people everywhere faced with those two things. This is us, and the consequence for this is hell. We soften it because the realities are too hard. And we soften it in a couple of ways. One, here's how we soften it. Well, I'm not really that bad. We just read the list. Is anyone a sorcerer? I'm not a sorcerer. <laughs> right? You just try to pick and choose. Do some people deserve hell? Absolutely. Do you? No. I'm not that bad. And God, I mean, he's, he's not that harsh. I mean, he's, I know he's that way. I know he has rules, but he's also loving and forgiving. I've read that somewhere. So I'm not as bad as that list. And God is, he's also loving, and we're going to be able to work this thing out. I promise you. And that, this truth right here, it's hell and sin and all that stuff, that's where we just kind of step away from the Bible a little bit and go, I'm just going to kind of construct it in my mind the, only, the way I can deal with it because I can't deal with this over here. And it, it lives on, that God is somehow less angry, and I'm a little bit better, and we're going to be able to do this. I, I have a photo of I have a photo of what I think we prefer. Now, this photo comes from, if you don't know the movie or the book, it's called The, the Shack. Are you familiar with? And then The Shack, the guy over here, that's Mac. He's a sinner. Does he look like a sinner? Yes. Is his head down? Is he ashamed of what he's done? He's, he is. Now, the person on this side is Elosha, I think. And this is, she represents God. Her name in the book and the movie is also Papa. So she kind of goes by two things. But it's like your grandma and the, and the kid, all right? And that's the picture that we're given of, of God in us. I mean, there are other characters like Jesus and the Holy Spirit in the movie, but this is God the Father, okay? Now, let's talk about grandma. Is, is grandma ever stern? Would she be stern with you? Like, do you, what are the characteristics of like an old grandma? Would she give it to you? Yeah. More than grandpa, right? Grandpa would be like, yeah, it's okay. But grandma will give it to you, won't she? It's not an accident. I'm telling you, it's not an accident they use grandma in the movie. Because the characteristic of grandma, she's tough. Is God tough? In some way out there, is he tough? Oh, he's tough. Is he going to, does he have that in him? Yeah, he does. Okay. Is grandma wise? Oh, where do you get your wisdom from? As your grandma said, right? Do you see how they start to pick you? We pick the stuff we like about God, right? We kind of package it all together and we put it in front of people because I'm telling you, this is alive and well in, in the minds of people everywhere. I just don't want it to be alive and well in your mind. So, tough and wise, but will she forgive you at the end of the day? Will grandma, at the end of the day, forgive you? She will. Look at the picture. She will make you tea and pat your little hand, won't she?
I'm telling you, when faced with the reality of who God is and all that he is and what he will do as he reveals it and knowing we're stuck, there's something about this that's very comforting. We run to, get, no, that, he's, he might be that, but God is more like that. And then I'm over here, and am I ashamed? If God is Elosha, Grandma, then all Mac has to do is what? He's got to try harder. He has to be sorry and try harder. Right? And if Grandma knows that he just tried really hard, she's going to make him tea and pat his hand, and at the end of the day, it's going to be okay. And this is not just what we prefer. This is what's believed. This is what's believed. Because if this is all you have to do, if God is grandma, then we all acknowledge. Look at Mac. He's acknowledging he's wrong. He's acknowledging this. It's a lot. But I also, like, I came to church, right? These are going to be good deeds. All right? I came to church and I, what else good did you do? Your mother likes you. <laughs> You're smart. You're kind. You went on a mission trip. You gave some money. You, what else did you do? You were a pretty decent dad. Took care of his kids and we took them on vacation and went to, you coached sports. And with grandma, if we can get this going, all we have to do is like, sorry about that. And you get tea. And everything's going to be okay. And I'm just here to tell you, because you're my friends, it's not going to be okay. God, the only God that has a heaven that we're all trying to get to, has a hell that he will send you to. If I told you anything else, I'd be a liar. So what do you do? Then if this doesn't do it, and God is going to do it, then what do we do with this? This is where our verse, this is what makes the cross everything. What happened at the cross is the only thing that will fix this. And our verse tells us exactly what happened at the cross. God made him who knew no sin to be sin. So we didn't do this and run through, but I'm going to walk over here in the dark, and they drives them crazy when I walk over here in the dark. But we'll fix it for second service. Like, they, you can see they got their hands up already. Like, you're in the dark. Jesus took it. But you have, see, this is what I thought growing up. I thought that, yeah, I did this, and then somehow Jesus was over here, and God punished him for that. And it's like, I knew that. I just didn't, but here's what happened. Look what happened. God made him who knew no sin to become it. He became, he became sin. He became, God caused him to become the very thing that he hated. So it, it was a transaction that took place. It's all over the place. He bore our sin. Look, look where it is. It's all over the place. We have those. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That's Isaiah. He laid it on him. He took it. Jesus Christ bore our sin in his body on the tree. 
He was numbered with the transgressors. Do you know what that means? He was counted as one who actually did it. As a matter of fact, God made him become the very thing that he hated, and then he blasted it. He made him become what he hates, which is not just sin, but a sinner. It does not say in the Bible, God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. Do you know it does not say that? It actually says God hates both. He hates the wicked, and he hates what they do. That is why Christ on the cross knew, that is why he said, why have you forsaken me? Because he that's when God, God, he became something that God hated. God turned his back on him, and that's why he knew that he was separated, he was cut off, and then from heaven, down came the punishment. The wrath of God who hates sin poured out. Listen to these verses. He was then, oh no, do we have those? Oh, we didn't do, that's the ender, hold on. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. This is the part I want you to hear. It was the will of God to crush his own son. I want you to see God's violence towards sin. He hates it and his willingness to cause his own son to become it. I never got that. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. But I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. I will cherish the old rugged cross until my trophies I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. The only way, the only way you get anything is what Christ worked for us here. It's the only thing that deals with this. And once it's dealt with, though, it's finished. It's finished. But not just finished, like now, but it goes beyond forgiven. Okay, it's removed, you're forgiven, but more than that, more than that, if God has the ability to make his own son something sinful that he was not, he has the ability then to make you something that you were not, and that is righteous. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become right. There's two things that happened there. He took it, it was finished, but we're not just forgiven and God's going to tolerate us. We're made right. He made perfect for all time those he is sanctifying. That's a great verse. That's my favorite verse next year. He made perfect for all time those he is making right. That's wonderful. That's a both and deal. It's beautiful. You are clothed with Christ. You are hidden in Christ. I don't know. He says it over and over and over again. If you believe it, if you receive it, I'm going to make you become something you could never be on your own. 
and it was all accomplished for you. So I urge you, therefore, in Christ, be reconciled to God. And that's not something you do, that's something you receive. You receive it. Training in righteousness is this. You receive it. Now our verses. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears it and believes it has eternal life. That's the only thing. We will all face judgment. And the only thing you've got is what Christ has done. All right, so, amen? You go to God today with an honest heart. You just be honest. I don't, just be honest. If you are honest with God where you're at, he'll do the rest. I want to, but I can't. Tell him that. He'll do the rest. I did a long time ago, and I've totally blown it. Go to him with that. He'll do the rest. Wherever you are, whatever you think, you go to God with it with an honest heart, and he will do the rest. But based upon what you've heard today, you go to God with an honest heart. For those of us who have gone to him, we've believed and received, we're going to remember it today through communion. That's how we're going to end. And communion is a meal that really just it helps us put into our mind what I just explained. The first part of it is bread, and the bread is, okay, this is what I became. I became everything that you did. I became what God hated. He stuck it to me, and then he stuck it to me. That's the other part. But this is my body broken for you. The price for all that was my life. That's the cup. The cup represents blood. Blood represents life. The price for sin was life, and I gave it for you. You take it, and you remember, because if you remember, you'll be grateful, and that'll change you. So we need to remember today. As often as you gather, do this in remembrance of me. So if that's something that you've done, and you're like, I believe, I receive, and I want this, and you come and take this, it is a believer's meal, so if you haven't, don't. But if you just did right now, if you're honest with God, come. If this is your act of repentance, like, I want what they, I want that. Because I don't want this, and I believe that God is not grandma. Perfect. Today's your day. But if not, just watch it. And what, you, what you're going to see, I say this every time. If you sit back, you're going to see people come and take this, and you're like, that dude is a terrible sinner. You're right. You're absolutely right. The only thing he's claiming, he's not claiming he's not, he's claiming... I'm clinging to the old rugged cross because that's all I got. That's all he's claiming, she's claiming when they come up. So you can sit back there and judge, but it'll work on you because you need to know what you're seeing. You're not seeing a bunch of holy rollers saying, look at me, I believe. You're seeing some people that have been mashed up by life and they know that they don't have what it takes and they're asking for help. So we take that meal remember and then I'm sure we'll sing a song when we're done alright I love you guys I want you to know the truth you're my friends God's not grandma you can't do it God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become something we can never be on our own and that is right let's pray
Lord, thanks for truth, and thanks for a way out. Thanks for Jesus. Thanks for communion. And I just pray that what we're about to do brings good attention to you, and I ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said,